We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Coming at you Wednesday morning. It's January 4th. As we record this, the Wolves are coming off a win over Denver uh, on Monday. And they play Portland this evening as they start to kind of try to trend this thing in the other direction after a six-game losing streak. Uh, I do think in uh, a lot of ways, there it was one of the wins of the Wolves season that kind of make you believe in that it can be different. I think uh, some main issues went away uh, that have been prevalent during the the six game losing streak. We're going to get into that today uh, with Jace Frederick, Wolves beat writer for the Pioneer Press. Hi, Jace. How are you? Hey, Dan. Pretty good, man. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Let's uh, we have a win to talk about. I don't remember the last time you I I think you kind of like losses, actually. Yeah, it's good, but at some point it gets a little repetitive. Like, I think we do, we like diving into, like, what's wrong, what can change. But, like, when you aren't even sure what can change, you know, when you're yeah. like, I don't know, this looks like what they are. Like, you kind of run out of things to talk about. So, I am ready to get positive. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I thought the biggest thing that kind of stood out as a difference from the the six-game losing streak, or, like, one of the first things you saw in the game that made you be like, okay, maybe they can win this Denver game is that the ball movement was just kind of at a different level, like a level we've seen sporadically over the course of the season. Um, But you kind of believe in the Wolves offense a little bit more when when things start pinging around and you kind of have multiple multiple initiators in the action. I think we saw that. Uh, Ant obviously was initiating a lot. Jalen Noel, this game had no D'Angelo Russell. And Jordan McLaughlin, what stood out to you just from like, the offensive side of the ball and what they got into with a really, really injured group in that game. I think it's just a bunch of guys who don't ever hold the ball. Uh, You know, like you get a bunch of guys like that on the court and then you have Ant initiate. And then, so Ant usually, now there's certainly, there are some possessions where he just takes it and uh, because he feels like he's in a rhythm or he thinks it's time for him to put up a shot or whatever, but usually he comes down and he makes the first pass, uh, and then it's a bunch of guys who are just used to moving the ball. They're comfortable moving the ball. That's what they do on offense. Um, and so it's swing, 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 and just tons of ball movement, tons of like wraparound possessions where the ball is flying around the horn. I know Britt even tweeted, he's like, oh, they're passing up some good shots here. They're <laughs> swinging it around. But 
I think that was almost necessary. I think they needed over exaggeration of ball movement and passing up even great shots to keep it rolling just to, you know, get this kind of moving. Like it's it's better to over exaggerate ball movement than under um, when you're struggling with that. But it was just a bunch of guys who were consistently passing, passing, passing. And then, you know, that makes it really easy then to find like a good opportunity for an ant, a, a Jane McDaniels, a Jalen Noel uh, to attack the rack, whatever the case may be, when the defense is not set and they're really just going at one guy um, versus like an overloaded side of the ball. So a, a bunch of guys who are used to passing the ball doing so and then opening up things for guys who are capable of creating off the bounce. Jason, you know, we've been like talking about maybe like wishfully of, Okay, this is exactly what the record was. They started slow last season too. They were sixteen and twenty, and then everyone got COVID, and they played one really good game against the Celtics and learned how to move the ball, and it changed everything. Come January first, and they were the number one offense the rest of the way. That whole comparison to me, in terms of what we'd like seen on the floor, just didn't line up. I was like, it, this kind of seemed like apples to oranges in terms of the comparison. That was the first game against Denver where I watched that and specifically the ball movement. And I go, that does remind me of that Boston game last year where the roster was totally wiped out. It was a lot of the same characters, right? Jalen Noel had a big game in that a year ago. Nate Knight was in the mix there. Again, in, in this year, in this game, it's a it's the end of the bench. Again, Jalen Noel, Nate Knight, Luca Garza, Matt Ryan, like that. I think... That was the first time, the first thing I've really seen outside of the record to be like, hey, this almost looks like a parallel from last season. And now here we are at the beginning of January, hoping maybe, or Wolves fans are hoping, maybe realizing they need that to happen to even be able to get into the playoffs, play in this season. Does that, do those games stand out as comparisons for you? Yeah, I think that could be one for sure. Um, I think everybody keeps trying to point back to like, we, we've said many times, right? Like, Maybe this is the game where everybody was so injured. Um, and maybe this was the game where everybody <laughs> yeah. was so injured. Uh, you know, like you, But this you was the like, game everyone was so injured and they passed. Like, Yes, correct. Yeah, the Bulls game had some ball movement, certainly. And they played in that game. And like, uh, so you can kind of pinpoint different areas uh, mm -hmm. to where that made sense as it. And now this makes sense as it. Uh, that's where I'm still a little skeptical of like, yeah, you've shown you can do it once or twice. Like when, mm -hmm. when push comes to shove and you're super desperate, but are you going to be a team that's able to be desperate on a night-to-night -night basis? Are you going to have, be able to have won three out of four games and still be desperate heading into game five? Uh, that's what I'm not so sure of of this group, and that's what we'll find out. Uh, because I think we have seen, like you said, the ball movement. There have been times for like three games in a row where you're like, well, they're moving the ball better even if they're not making shots, and that's been true. Uh, how do you sustain it now, and how do you sustain it when things go poorly? Uh, that that group certainly did it. I don't know if that group would do it on a night to night basis. But the, another thing is, like, we won't see that group, you know, yeah. again here for a while. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is coming back tonight. Dorian Prince probably coming back tonight. If you get upgraded to questionable, it usually means you're coming back. Um, so we're getting guys back into the mix here. I mean, some of those other guys probably won't play as much. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think that the two things I see people pointing at as to why it was better in, in the Denver game was. And this one, I for sure agree with, like, they were desperate, you know, they're what they were coming off a six game losing streak. And I think deep down, top to bottom on this roster, they know that to win, they do need to play together. Right. And and they kind of were desperate and played together. That shows up in ball movement. Then the other factor, you know, is D'Angelo Russell was not in that game. And and that one kind of goes both ways. Right. Where 
we know the, the ball does like quite literally get past more when Delo's on the floor. But I think also if we were to list off times when the offense feels sticky with this team, or even if it's just for a three, four minute stretch of the game, it is often when D'Lo is on the floor and those stints when when it does get a little bit more isolation centric, whether it be him or one of the other guard wings, whatever on the team. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't attribute it to desperation specifically. I don't attribute it to specifically to, oh, D'Angelo Russell's out and now they move the ball. I don't attribute it specifically to like, oh, it was more point ant. Like, I think all of those arguments for why it was better against Denver, why they won that game, um, aren't enough in and of themselves, right? Like, or I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you disagree with me. Do you feel like that maybe it being point ant was the reason there was better ball movement and overall better offense in this one? Uh, no, uh, I like point ant. I like the idea of point ant. I, I've definitely shifted my philosophy on point ant. I think that should be a direction they move in the future here. Uh, but like, frankly, I think their offense is better in a game like that because they get up and down a little bit more. Like, yeah. there are more stops. Things just happen more fluidly. It's less against set defense. Defense does kind of lead to offense, I think. Just, like, when you're playing hard on one end, it leads to, like, mm-hmm. everybody's involved on the other. Like, I, I think it's it's a collection of a lot of different things. Like, I just think they played well in general. Like, I, I mean, just the effort's harder. You're doing everything with more purpose. Like, you can pass the ball, and you're still not doing much. You're not moving much on offense. It can just kind of be passed around. Like, we've seen that. How many times in a zone have you seen that? Like, the other yeah. team is playing a zone. Mm-hmm. And Minnesota's just passing the ball around the perimeter. And it's like, yeah, you probably passed six, seven times that possession. But no <laughs> one moved. No one did anything. Um, and so it was just all going nowhere. Like, everything they did in that game was with a purpose. And that was both ends of the court. It was on the glass. Like, it was just a mindset. It was kind of a vibe of the team. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to do everything we can to win this game. We're going to play the game the right way. Like, I, I think it that all can kind of tie together. And I think everybody came in with that philosophy. And I do think that. D'Lo is somebody where sometimes for sure you get the guy who's going to come out and do everything the right way. Um, and sometimes you get a guy who's going to be lazy defensively, who's not going to show any interest in in hitting the glass, who's going to play a lot of isolation basketball in key moments to where even when he scores, you go, and does this too, you go, mm-hmm. uh, nobody else touched the ball there. And nobody else has touched the ball in two possessions. And you're going to get guys who kind of lose interest when that happens. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think it's, can you get five guys on the floor who are committed to playing basketball the right way? Um, and when D'Lo is a part of that group, they can be a better group for it. But can D'Lo do it consistently enough where they can, that can kind of be their team identity? I think that's the question for me. Well, and like you said at the beginning there, like they did just get out and run, right? And they and then it's like even the the running into transition, even when it kind of transition offense leads into a half court offensive set. Like there's kind of that movement energy, and that seems to be like in those type of games where Jaden McDaniels. Uh, plays well. I know that's a kind of a theme we've talked about over the the course of the season, but but Finch brought that up after the game of just kind of how that style of play gets Jade and going, and that style of play often is what makes this team win. Here's Finch on McDaniel's. Chris, I know you had some foul trouble, but do you think Jaden one of Jaden's better games? Just oh, what he yeah. gave you on both ends there. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what the statistic is. I ha- I had it to hand the other day, but like when he gets ten or more shots um in the game like you know i think we're something like i think we may have two or three losses you know and and a, and a boatload of wins and um and it's it's a byproduct of the ball movement you know he's a 
a, a, a really skilled player can do a lot of different things, you know, cut, crash, make a spot three, play off the catch. Um, but if the ball doesn't move, these things don't come to life for him. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a, bar, a barometer for our offensive uh, ball movement. So, so, I love that last part, Jace. Like, he can do these things, Jaden, that is, but he cannot do them unless the ball is moving in the offense. So if you don't have that, one of your most important players, at least offensively, becomes a little irrelevant. And it seems that his engagement on offense normally taps into his defensive focus. And he's the most, I think he's the most important defensive player on this team, actually. So I'm totally with Finch of that barometer idea. Even if that stat, I don't think is is as exactly as he sold it. I looked it up. I think they're eight and five in games that uh, that Jaden has taken 10 plus shots. But I do very much agree with that sentiment broadly. So, so yeah, we looked at the stat. We got the eight and five on game night because we're like, is that right? And we looked it up. It's like, nope, eight and five. Uh, <laughs> but now if you add it to nine, if you got nine or more shots, now they're 12 and six, uh, uh, which is a pretty good number. And so then I was just playing around with numbers in general. When he takes between nine and 11 shots, they're 10 and three. Okay. So maybe when he hits that 11 shot thing, you just sub them out. <laughs> That's the move. But I do think, I do think there's something too, like between nine and 11 shots is a good number for Jane McDaniels in general. Like he's being aggressive. But yet, when he gets into like 14, 15, those were games where they were missing a lot of dudes. Like, mm-hmm. like the Boston game, he took 15 shots. And like, that's like, you just don't have a lot of guys to even play the game, uh, frankly. And, and I think that could, can be the case, even like the last game against um, the one they just won here against Denver. Like, that can play out that way, but it didn't. Uh, he probably would have gotten 15 shots if he wasn't in foul trouble. Uh, but I think like, if, if when you have a closer to full strength roster, if Jaden can still take 10 shots, then I think your offense is running exactly how it should. You know, because I, I'm totally he's with that offense within the flow. The, there are diminishing returns to Jay right. McDaniel's offense. Like, and and actually, you know, I, I think we probably did the same thing where we just like sorted his game logs by highest volume of shots in a game. And it was the games when they was like when he had shot 14 or 15 plus shots in a game, those were losses. And now obviously that's not a, a exact parallel to draw, but that is what you want out of Jaden, is you want him in the mix. But I don't think you want like seven ISOs in a game from Jaden McDaniels ever. That's probably not going to lead to profit. It's it's giving him like not scraps, like but a little bit more than scraps, so as to engage him on offense, which engages him uh, on the defensive side of the floor. I just feel like in general, Jaden's been really good recently, and we've kind of been brushing over him. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's. He's defended at a high level. He's been more engaged offensively. He's rebounded just a little bit better. I felt like it was more so. And then I looked at numbers recently and I'm like, ah, it's not that much. Different. Right. <laughs> um, but, but like in general, I think Chris Finch talked about, you know, barometer for ball movement. Even Ant said this. He's like, Jaden, when we move the ball, Jaden gets his touches. You know, like mm-hmm. that's all there is to it for Jaden. Like if we just move the ball, he can be the offensive player he's supposed to be. And that's right. I think like with Jaden, they want him to attack when he feels like it's advantageous to do so. And that is when like, you know, the defense is shifting and maybe, and you've got somebody off balance or you've got a good matchup. And that happens so much more often when the ball is going around the horn and when a defense is constantly moving. So like no plays are going to be set for Jane McDaniels, but you would like there to be at least nine times in a game where you have the defense scrambling enough to where Jaden gets a mismatch or an advantage um, and he can attack. And that means you're running good offense. Like that is, that is exactly why when you are running good offense, he will get that many shots and exactly the type of offense that Chris Finch wants to run. So, like, I totally get it and I agree with it. So long as, like, 
this kind of random flow thing is like their offensive scheme. Yeah, that's how many times you should want Jaden to get the ball, um, feeling like, oh, here's an opportunity where I should attack. Because frankly, he's very good at just picking his spots. It's just sometimes in games when he doesn't get the ball very much or when it's just kind of like stagnant offense, those opportunities aren't there. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Jason, I'm just a take a second to uh, tell the listeners that Britt Robson and I will be at uh, Falling Knife Brewing Company this Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday morning, uh, so we'll be there tomorrow evening. Uh, Chase and I have done a a live show together at at Falling Knife before. It'll be Britt and I on Thursday night. The show's going to start at 6.30, but as always, uh, I'll be there like 45 minutes, 60 minutes, uh, but before we get going, if you want to come through Say hi while we're setting up. Uh, we'll do the live show. Come get a seat. And then Britt and I will uh, hang out afterwards for a while, have a beer, talk to those of you. I'm glad it's not still a losing streak as as we go into this. But um, it, I know it's super snowy outside. I don't think it's going to be snowing on Thursday evening. Uh, last I checked. So if you're in Minneapolis or um, somewhere close by, Falling Night Brewing is in Northeast, like right off of uh, Broadway. And again, but Robson and I will be there uh, doing our weekly show live um, from from Falling Knife that night. So again, show will start at 6.30, come 5.30, 6 o'clock to, to get a seat, come say hello, and uh, we'll, we'll hang out, talk some, uh, talk some wolves together. All right, Chase. Things were like, okay, go ahead. If you look at, I'm talking about Falling Knife here quick. Okay. Uh, if, if you aren't familiar with it, like, and you just think like, oh, I don't really want to go downtown on a Thursday night. Like, it's not downtown. There's parking available. It's very easy to get in and out of. Um, like, very accessible place that ever deters you if you live in a different spot in the metro or anything. No, that that actually is a good point. It's like, there, it's kind of in like a little office, like 90s office sort of layout where they have those parking lots that that surround it. So there is... There has been plenty uh, of of parking there. That that is a a good point. It is, yeah. You, you, I mean, it's like ten minutes away from down. I live downtown. It's like a ten minute drive for me. But um, but yes, that that is a good point, and we'd love to see you. And and as as Jace knows, we've got to know kind of the the following knife guys, and and they're great, and they're wanting to do this to like create a wolves place for uh for people to go, uh, which I think is is really cool. Let's talk about today's sponsor. Let's get checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. Recent studies show that men's testosterone levels are dropping substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. If your father was 30 when you were born, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his are. Low testosterone can have all types of health effects on men. It can cause you to lose muscle mass in your body. It can affect your mood, your memory, and even your sex drive. Let's Get Checked is a worldwide leader in at-home testing kits, and their male hormone tests let you easily test your testosterone levels. These results are reviewed by a clinician. Once your sample is in the lab, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. Let's Get Checked labs are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, Visit trylgc.com slash Dane and get 25% off your test using code Dane25. Or look for that link and promo code in the show notes of this episode. That's trylgc.com slash Dane and get 25% off your test using code Dane25. All right, Chase, uh, let's um, let's move into talking about the bench in that uh, in that game against Denver. The ball movement we talked about 
transcended the starting lineup, maybe even was even more apparent in in the bench unit. And I thought it was interesting, the group that they went with. You know, we were kind of talking about this while we were sitting by each other at the game. Uh, Jalen Noel started in this game, but then Finch, I don't know if he targeted it or not, but he kind of found something in a Jalen Noel, Austin Rivers, Matt Ryan, Nate Knight, Luca Garza lineup, which that sounds crazy uh, that that group played. But really, even when I rewatched the game yesterday, that group kind of saved that game against Denver specifically, which is not something I would have expected uh, coming into that game. What stood out to you about that group, Jace, or maybe specifically some of those guys in that group when what they were able to to bring to that game? I'll just say with like a Knight Garza front court, I actually felt the size. Um, yeah. And I don't always feel the size when Minnesota goes big. But with those two, like they are thinking like, I'm going to hit the glass. I'm going to be an interior presence. Nate Knight's rolling in. Garza's trying to establish himself in the post and even like making moves from the perimeter to get on the interior. Like I thought Minnesota felt big with those two on the court. I don't know if that's a look they're ever going to get to again. You know, Nas is questionable tonight. If he's in, then I'm sure we won't see at least one of those guys. But Nate Knight is a power forward. Like, it looks like just a big power forward. You know, I, I think he's somebody who fits more in that power forward spot, even alongside another big. Uh, if that's something they want to run out in the future, I, I don't mind that. Like, if you do, you've talked about maybe going Nate Knight minutes more over Bryn Forbes or whatever. Like, I think that looks plausible. You know, you just play a bigger lineup. And because I think they actually played to their strengths in general. Um, I, I thought that was great. Uh, that was not something I ever would have thought you could go to, but. I don't know, at least for one game, I thought it looked, it had the advantages where you thought it should have had the advantages. You know, just with with Nate specifically, that was the first time all season where I was like, that reminds me of Jared Vanderbilt. Like, whatever Vando did last season, we all know, like, that had been for the first 37 games of the season. I don't think it showed up ever. And there's just something to, in basketball in general, to, the annoyance of offensive rebounding and physicality that is valuable to any team. But I think specifically with this team of a a lot of guys who don't play like Jared Vanderbilt to have one guy out there who does. um, I think there's a, just a unique kind of value in that. And, and the person on this, this team that I think is most equipped to be able to do that is Nate Knight. And I don't know, and who knows how much time he ends up getting. But when I when I say that that group was really important in that game, I'm not suggesting it's like, hey, here's a new second unit for the team. Let's just let's go to that death lineup. You know, every time I think if you go to that lineup too often, you're gonna die, you're gonna die more often than you live. Yeah. But the thing that sticks out to me from that is, well, I, I guess a couple teams, or a couple things. Nate Knight just as being valuable. Matt Ryan hinting at like some competence that you could that you could get to. And then also Jalen Noel as kind of an initiator, a point guard. You mentioned that at the beginning, like he was actually getting off the ball. And I think particularly with that group, he was confident in getting off the ball, which is a little backwards. You would think like Jalen Noel, all right, I'm out here with Rudy Gobert and Anthony Edwards. Like maybe this is the time where I'm going to pass it more often. It seemed like he was more intentional about uh, passing to that group. I, I just think that group worked and I'm trying to find things from that group that could extend, you know, going forward. Is there anything other than Nate Knight for you that you you take from that, that you could be like, this 
this could be something going forward? I just like that the nicest thing you could say about Matt Ryan was that he was hinting at competence. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, it's the like, it's the specifics. It's the like, okay, shots up. Let's get it. Let's put a guy on it. Let's talk. Let's, let's like, let's rotate into the gaps. I, I mean, people who've watched this team this whole season have known that it is, there are five to 10 minutes a night where the team as a whole does not hint at competence. So it right. is about like, you know, can we get this little seven, eight minute bench stint to right. into competence? Stealing like minutes. That, it's yes. often stealing minutes. You know, it's yes. it's like, can we tread water and on the best days go on a little run? And they were like, they had some time out there against Denver starting lineup in the fourth quarter and they took it to them and they extended the lead. And guess it turned out that they needed that extension because mm-hmm. Denver went on a run to get back in the game. And it's a lot better when the team goes on the run to get in the game and you're tied versus like, oh, yeah. Denver goes on a run and now they're up five. You know, like totally. that's a different scenario mentally. So having that cushion made a big advantage, even if you wouldn't think so in a 13 point win. Uh, but I think the big point, like you mentioned with Noel, he looked more comfortable getting off the ball. Like you look at this team's turnover percentages and everybody's got terrible ones except Jalen. And it's because Jalen doesn't pass the ball. Uh, he, he he really shoots the ball a lot. And like he only passes it when it's the most obvious passing situation. So it was good that he was comfortable getting off it early. Like mm-hmm. it's what you have to do with Ant and Jalen. Like right. the ball will come back to you. Just get off it really early. Don't get so enamored with the idea of you coming up the court and being like oh i could take this guy right. like get off of it just to start the play and it will come back to you in a better situation jalen looked more comfortable doing that with that second unit and the ball moved really well um and that's on jalen now to know that that's worked and i need to do that moving forward because the times when he struck the most this year are when he's gotten most aggressive and it's like with reckless abandon mm-hmm. uh he's gotta be comfortable especially when he's the point guard without jordan mclaughlin here there have been a lot of train wrecks train wreck stints here uh, where he is kind of the quote-unquote point guard but he did a much better job just okay i'm gonna get off it it's gonna come back to me um and that was with the first unit it's more like ants getting off of it and now it's coming to jalen and jalen feels like it's in a good spot because the ball has moved and that makes some sense to me but when jalen's initiating the offense like be comfortable getting off of it know what's coming back to you in a better spot so you're not so much forcing things yes exactly and i I like what you said about it just being about stealing minutes like that group won the seven minutes they played by one point. It wasn't like, wasn't some crazy like 14-0 run or something like that. That's not what you're asking of this this bench group. But if you look at the two five-man groups that played the most in that game, it was the starters as the most used. They got out, outscored by one. And then the second most five-man unit was that go, that third, the Garza, Knight, Ryan, Rivers, Noel lineup. And they survived with that. Like, that, as I, again, think back to last season, what turned in January was that became like a pretty reliable notion from the bench was that they're going to keep you in the game. Like, and and a lot of times last year, what happened was it was like, you know, J-Mac, TP, whatever. And that would be, they would win those minutes by like nine. What Finch is looking for from this bench right now is like, can we just play close to close to neutral? And if they can do it with the deep, deep bench, I mean, dude, that is two, that is their two, two way players, two guys on minimum contracts. And then Jalen Noel, who's making under $2 million. Like if you can get competence out of that, like that one, that's just uh, impressive. But I do think, I do think uh, that's just, that's just what this, that's just what this group needs is 
is competence from that bench and to get Jalen Noel going a little bit. I don't have any real reason to play this clip other than it's funny, but Jalen Noel shot 39% from three last year. He's obviously struggled this season, kind of got back into a rhythm. So he gave, he gave this answer to, uh, to, to Chris Hine, which just cracked me up uh, in the locker room after the game. You got a lot of productive play out of your bench, but kind of specifically that, hold on, this is actually Finch on the bench unit. I'll play that, that Jalen clip next, but here's, here's Finch on the bench plus Noel. Aylin and the four bench guy unit. Is that something you were, you were targeting tonight or, or I mean, something that you just kind of found? Just something? Kind of, yeah. Um, you know, the first one of the first subs I, I yelled for Brandon. I didn't even know he had been ruled out the last minute. So it was, it wasn't something we had planned on. We just kind of feeling the game and those guys were playing well. We just let them roll, you know, um, and they did a great job. And then, um, you know, honestly, like, I, I, I took them out because I just didn't want the starters to sit much longer because I didn't want to be cold in the last six. But, the, you know, those guys could have kept playing. I thought they were really in control of the game. So, Jace, that that was that, that was the uh, that was the the Finch clip. But I think just the Bryn anecdote was, there is interesting yeah, of like they your, were not targeting this. There was it was the funny thing is like. Dane Moore knew that Brent Forbes was not available before the game, but Chris Finch did not because you were walking down the hallway and like just happened to be alongside Brent as he was telling somebody like he wasn't able to go tonight. So <laughs> you told me that pregame, like, oh, Brent can't even play. I heard him talking. And Chris Finch did not know that. Um, so, so we would have been like, ah, oh, actually, he can't. He's not good tonight. Uh, Chris, don't don't mind that one. I thought that was funny when he said that after the game when you literally knew that Brent Forbes was not available, but the head coach did not. That happens all the time, like in late minute things, like. Chris Finch isn't talking to anybody but his coaching staff in the last 15 minutes before the game starts. So, right. like, if Forbes <laughs> goes up to a trainer, like, you know, the trainer's probably not. It's, it's very easy for that information to not get to that coach. Right. Where, where's coach? I need to, I need to tell him. Uh, but it is kind of indicative <laughs> of what this, like, it's been a mess. Like, we, we've been talking about this for a while of, like, you know, what, and people have been frustrated with Finch. And and it's like you're expecting him to do different things. It's like he doesn't even know what is available that it, that he can get to. You're literally sitting down for the game and playing, and they're trying to find things as they go. I mean, that is just the reality of missing three, four, five guys for a game, particularly if a couple of them are very. There was three last minute scratches and D'Lo Nas and and Forbes in this game. Like this is a difficult thing for Finch to be able to do. Though I do think the expectation is like, you got to be on your toes as Finch of like, if it's not a Matt Ryan night, if it's not a Noel night, like being able to play off of that and make different on the fly reads as a coach of, of what this team needs. I think this was an example of Finch kind of nailing that. I would definitely, the thing like, I wouldn't criticize Finch for too much this year because of like the injury situation. And I don't know about, fits and whatnot but in general like it i think this kind of shows that like finch ball can work like hey just move the ball and, and play good offense and anybody can score and finch has even talked about that mm -hmm. before like it's not easy to it's, it's pretty easy to replace scoring in the nba it's not easy to replace like okay there's two minutes left and now we need a bucket like that's where you need an ant or something somebody like that more often but a lot of guys can play the offense the way he wants offense played you just got to do it um right. and i think the one thing i would criticize him for this year is when guys have not done it, um, he's been a little slow to the trigger to just put in somebody else. And I know, like, even before this game, I thought, well, who else is out there? But it's kind of another reminder that anybody else, try somebody else and say, you go do what I'm asking you to do. 
because this guy's not mm -hmm. um, and do it for four or five minutes rather than just letting the thing submerge underwater with guys who aren't getting the job done, like try right. something else. Um, and I think that's where Finch can be a little bit stubborn, uh, you know, and it's like, okay, you're watching this group play terrible basketball, put in somebody <laughs> else uh, who will do what you want rather than after the game being like, I don't know, the guys who are out there sucked, uh, which is factual, uh, but it's your job as the coach to do something about it. And just hoping that these guys who haven't done it, not just for two quarters, but like 30 games are going to turn the tide, I think is a little bit of wishful thinking that I don't even think at points he thought was going to play out right. So put in a Matt Ryan, put in a Nate Knight, like whatever, just do something, <laughs> put somebody out there who might play basketball the way you actually want it played. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think he should be a little quicker to the trigger on that. And maybe as they get to full strength here, there's a reminder of like, if this doesn't work out, remember those guys at the end, it's not sustainable, but for a game, for a quarter, they can play basketball the way you want um, mm -hmm. on any given night. Right, let's take one more break and we'll be, we'll be back with Chase here in a second. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Chase, I didn't get to the, uh, the Jalen Noel clip but before the break. I thought it was funny. I also think this is kind of an important thing for this season. Like Jalen Noel is in the lineup and will be, I think, going forward, probably even once they get back uh, to full strength, they need more shooting out of him. Again, like I said before, shot 39% from three last year. Is that like 29%? Um, now he did get a big shot uh, to go late. And Chris Hine asked him about that after the game. How did it feel to get finally get a three to go? Bro, oh my God, bro. I don't know what it is about this year, bro, but I've been shooting like straight ass, bro. I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm sticking it. I'm doing everything I can. I'm really I'm really trying to make these shots. But for some reason, you're just not falling off the basketball guys. I'm working on my game, but like, it's like, damn. Uh, I, the only thing I can keep doing is keep shooting. Um, and averages, you know, they say they'll average out. Um, so. Got some pretty big, big games coming. <laughs> Jace, what do uh, what do you think the odds are that we do really see Jalen rebound 
in in terms of his his shooting for the rest of the season. Yeah, so I mean, I think in general he's been struggling with the shot, and that's and I do think that it's one of those things where some averages will pan out um, because he's not a bad shooter. I I do think it comes down to a lot of though he's sometimes gets too aggressive. Uh, he's taking out situations that aren't there. It kind of gets you a little bit out of your rhythm. He's taking some threes that aren't good threes. Like if he allows the ball movement to kind of create more of his offense, um, I think that whiz where you'll see Jalen really start to get into a rhythm. And once that rhythm's created, then maybe you can have a couple of possessions where you just kind of take it um, because he's kind of feeling it. We've seen when he's red hot, he's red hot. Uh, but I, I do think it's now where he's playing more. And I don't know if like on a higher volume, he's going to be a better three point shooter. I'm not surprised that that percentage comes down this year in general from his career. Yeah. That's not a bold statement seeing where he's at right now, but that, that isn't surprising to me that a guy who's now playing more and I wouldn't, I never really would say is like a three point shooter um, in the way that that career percentage would indicate that that's going to come down a bit. Uh, he's a mid range, get to the bucket kind of guy. And I'm like I said, he'll make more threes, especially if they come within the flow of the ball coming around the horn. Uh, but I don't, I don't expect him to be like a, an above like a 36% shooter if he plays a higher volume in his career. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I, I remember asking Jalen uh, on media day uh, about his shot specifically, because I've always noticed with him that he has both a touch three point shot and like a set catch and shoot type shot. And <clears throat> which which kind of makes sense because he does have like that touch shot is more like an off the bounce. Um, type of three that we you know we see him use when he gets to the mid-range and that but then he also has that very like mechanical catch and shoot type three three-point shot and i've always wondered like having two different types of shots like little mechanical shots that you take from could take from the same places on the floor like what is the impact of that and i remember jalen like responding to me at at media day being like shot 39 percent last year you know like there's that that's how I shoot. And I think that's a factor in, in this specifically when he's playing in more frequently in an off ball role, like you just kind of need that mechanical catch and shoot shot rather than looking for an off the bounce touch type of shot. So to me, if I had to theorize why the three point percentage has gone down by 10 points, like you said, volume up, um, you know, kind of as a different role on this type of team, but he also just doesn't shoot like a typical catch and shoot three point shooter and diversifies the shot. And I think that's a factor in why this is going down. Now, can it go back up? Yeah. Like we saw him shoot with these same mechanics, 39% last year, but it's just another reminder that like, as we said last season, Jalen Noel is not Malik Beasley. Jalen Noel is more comparable to Anthony Edwards than he is Malik Beasley. I think as, as a two guard sure. and they don't need him to be Malik, but at times they do need him to shoot the ball in catch and shoot situations and for him to stay in the rotation. It's gotta be at an over 30% clip. We'll see. Like, like you said, if it, if it comes around, I also think, right? Like he presses gotta be over 30%. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> I it, agree it, with that. It, it, it does. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't think that's a too high of a bar. I think I think it's got to be above like thirty three percent. Frankly, I think. I mean, he's been playing all year and he's been shooting a lot of them, but it's been under thirty percent. I mean, maybe that's just a, a this team as. Wouldn't a you whole. say? Wouldn't you agree that last year was the outlier though? Like his first year from three, rookie year, three for twenty six from deep. Yeah. Second year, thirty three percent. Then last year, thirty nine percent. Now this year, twenty nine percent. Like I think the thirty nine was the outlier. I do think thirty three, thirty four is 
probably more realistic goal for him with the kind kinds of shots that he takes. Yeah, I no, I, I'm with that, and and that isn't like the majority of his offensive diet, right? We know he's a right. get to the rim type of guy, and he can do that in ways that Malik Beasley cannot at all, right? Or Bryn Forbes cannot at all. So that's the thing. It's like we're saying if it is 33%, he'll actually be a pretty positively impactful offensive player, particularly if he's mixing in, you know, some some passing playmaking uh off the bounce there too. I just I mean it's it's been it's been rough for a while now and I'm I think for his sake it would be very advantageous to go on a little bit of a heater here over the next five games before more and more players start getting healthy so as to at least like hold your ground on that 15 minutes a night of of backup shooting guard play. Certainly the bubble rotation player right now. You could it is absolutely fair to say that when everybody comes back. We might we're still a little ways away from that. You know, we don't know when Jordan McLaughlin's coming back. We don't know when Kat's coming back, but when they're at full strength, you've had like Austin Rivers play pretty well for stretches and four for stretches as well. But Jalen, you can say the same thing. Like there are definitely some bubble rotation players right now. And so yeah, you're right. Like play well now if you want to lock in your spot um, once everybody gets healthy. Last thing I want to talk about, Jace, is what I thought was a pretty underrated, important part of beating Denver was putting Kyle Anderson on Nikola Jokic and using Rudy Gobert in that sort of spy role um, where he's kind of lurking off of a non-shooter. He was, quote unquote, guarding Aaron Gordon in this game and really just kind of lived by the rim. We obviously have seen a ton of that over the years. That's how they guarded Carl Anthony Towns in Utah when when Rudy was on the Jazz for the most part. Uh, how much did that stick out to you as being uh, important? I think it was great. I think it was huge for the defensive scheme. I'd like to note that usually putting someone on the non-shooter is what they do with D'Angelo Russell. So when he does not play, mm. that frees it up where you can put Rudy Gobert on. I didn't think about what that. you consider to be like a non-shooter and their worst one. Otherwise, it's hard to find two guys on the court that you can do that where Rudy can be a spy and D'Lo can be a spy or hidden. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to do when you've got guys who you are comfortable playing one-on-one defense. Yeah. So I thought it was a great scheme. I don't know how plausible it is as you move forward um, if D'Lo is going to play heavy minutes with Rudy. Uh, here, here's Finch when I asked him about the, that pairing or that tactic in that game. You mentioned Kyle on on Jokic some, but also had Gobert off and kind of that spiral. What what dynamic do, does that present when 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 Rudy can do that and when someone like Kyle can yeah handle I mean, that primary matchup? You know, I mean, we've we've faced that defense, uh, you know, with, with Utah for a long time, so we're very familiar with it. Rudy is really really good at it. Um, you know, we're not able to always get to it every single night. But, um, you know, the key with that is everyone else can go out there and guard their matchups really well. Um, I thought uh, thought our guys did a good job guarding the ball for the most part, really good job guarding the ball, um, guarding their perimeters. So, Jace, just Does to- that not scream? Does that not scream in that answer, thinking about that, that he was talking about when D'Angelo Russell is on the floor and not? Yeah, I'm kind of mad I didn't think about that myself. Uh, because yeah, that that's what it was. That's what it opens it up. Rudy to be able to do that needs to be on a guy that he that they can ignore. And and with D'Lo, it's not always like they're putting him it for a lot of the reason you don't want to put D'Lo on a main point of attack guy, right? Like he's not a strong one on one defender. But we have seen last season, right? Like that being valuable when you put D'Lo kind of in that free safety role where he can kind of talk, communicate defensively, and that that helped them. 
we have seen that again this season, even though a little bit different of a scheme. So you are right. I, I don't I don't know how possible this is to get to big picture, which now I'm a little bit frustrated by because I was thinking just in general, I'm like, I think the Anderson Gobert thing defensively might be kind of nasty. And and so maybe that's something you could still get to when Delo's off the floor. You can you can find that to make that happen. But it kind of ruins my idea of I was thinking about this like, couldn't you do this with Cat and Rudy? What if you put in that game, if you put Cat on Jokic or whoever this main guy is, and then Rudy is kind of the backline sort of player? I know that's going to be a lot harder, or Cat's not as strong of a defender in that way, obviously, as, as Kyle Anderson is. But we're looking for ways, right, that Rudy can be in, impactful defensively for this team. He has not been as impactful. And sometimes I think it is about little little tweaks like this, finding little things that that do work. And I don't know, I feel like you've kind of ruined my theory that this could be one of them. But uh, what, do you think that would work at all, though, if it went to his cat and go bear uh, in that situation? Or is just like foul trouble and cat individually not enough to believe in there? Um, I think like with cat, that would be a challenge just with him being out of foul trouble against Jokic, you'd really have to pound home the idea of like Rudy's behind you. Yeah. Do not get overly physical here. Don't get way into this matchup. Just do like a standard job of, you know, like just try not to get too handsy. Try to just be solid and know Rudy's right there behind you. Mm -hmm. uh, play like that. Be smart. Um, Cat would maybe struggle with that at times, but if you can get into his head, there's no reason why he couldn't do it. He doesn't have to be as good of a defender as Kyle Anderson right. if he's got a Rudy Gobert behind him playing that like, you know, free safety role. It's really is a great catch-all um, when he doesn't when Rudy doesn't have to be so much on the ball in the action, whatever the case may be. Uh, I I think it could work, but like you said, like you need to have your other three guys that need to be able to defend yeah. even in one-on-one -on -one matchups. Like they have to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I I think this is another thing with coaching. People always want to say like this coach is dumb. He doesn't get this. Why aren't you using guys like this? Like the Wolves coaching staff clearly had this idea in their mind it was in their holster like here's what we can do yeah. but we can only do it with this personnel and so when they had the opportunity to do it then they employed it uh you know and and now maybe maybe they will be like well we have to at least try it with Dilo out there mm -hmm. and maybe it'll work and maybe it'll look bad um because he gets attacked a little bit um so we'll see at that point but it's always like coaches know things too they just also know what they think yeah. they can't try or what won't work mm -hmm. um so it'll be interesting to see i think I think you're almost obligated to try it because it was so effective, yeah. especially in given ma certain matchups. You're obligated to try it even with D-Lo out there, and we'll see if it works out. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the box score. It, it The box score doesn't totally scream that that was the reason that they won the game. I mean, Jokic still finishes with 24 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists, but it was a little bit down pretty shooting night. It's pretty pedestrian for, for Nikola Jokic. Yeah, yeah, so it is, you know, it j just wasn't like, oh, like, shut Kyle Anderson shut down Nikola Jokic, but it prevented Jokic from having a huge night, right? And and that's kind of like this team went to handle a 42 and 20 game from Jokic. They would have lost that for sure. So this kind of at least seemed to slow down Denver's offense a little bit. And then Aaron Gordon gets 16 rebounds as he's being spied and 14 of them, or, or sorry, 12 of them, were offensive rebounds. So that's really the opportunity cost here, right? When you have Rudy coming over to show on Jokic, like Jokic is going to find Gordon on those drop-offs, which he did a couple times, or offensive rebounds are just going to be there 
for the guy that's being spied. And Gordon did that. But at the same time, overall, Gordon shot four for 15 from two, which is 27%, and 0 for three from three, obviously 0%. He's having an awesome year. He's shooting 65% from two on the season and 37% from three. So I think that tactic wasn't as much about stopping Jokic as it was lowering the overall impact of those two players, who I think have been Denver's two best players for the entire season. Like you were saying, I think there are going to be matchups going forward here where you are presented with the same problem. And I'm just curious if this can be a solution in more than in more than one game. Yeah, and I do think like Gordon, that's a high number of offensive rebounds. They did a really nice job. Like once he got the offensive rebound, they weren't like immediate scoring opportunities. They were not a bunch of easy putbacks. They did a nice job like contesting Gordon at the rim. There are a couple possessions where like they swallowed him up and it led yeah. to like turnovers or like block shots that just created easy buckets the other way. Uh, I, I actually give a lot of credit to Aaron Gordon. Like he attacked that really well. He was it was a super off night from shooting, but he was relentless on the court. Like so, like it's easy to watch that game and be like, "Wow, Aaron Gordon sucked." But he like approached the game really well. Like kept the aggression up, tried to do other things even when the shot wasn't falling to help the team win. Now maybe he could have shot a little less. Um, but at some point, it's like I'm supposed to be a good player, and I'm making these shots most of the year. I'm going to keep it going. But I think even other matchups, not everybody's going to be as aggressive as Aaron Gordon was on the glass. Like, yeah. not everybody's going to be that relentless. Like, that's a good team with a good player who knows how to attack it. Like, I think that was about the best that you can attack that. It still didn't work out for them. So against lesser opponents or less lesser fours or whatever it might be, or guys with just not the same mentality, like, the opportunity cost, like, it might be even, the hit against you might be even less. Yeah, and we saw that last year with Jared Vanderbilt, right? Like, there were times, I mean, it, largely wrecked Cat's post-up game for the season. But there were times when the Wolves did punish that, when Vando was relentless, when the team wasn't able to get the body on him. I mean, you do need to be intentional. As much as it's the player you're ignoring, you also need to simultaneously be intentional about that player that you're ignoring not hurting you, whether that is by taking wide-open threes and making them or getting on the offensive glass playing relentless like that. Um, it is a balance. And that's why it's, I don't think it's a 48-minute thing ever, right? I think what the Wolves, the reality of where the Wolves are coming to defensively is they are going to have to go to three, four, five different things throughout the course of the game, dependent on personnel, that they can buy half a quarter with of, again, defensive competence. And and I think this is one, to me, I, I just grab that game. I'm going to remember that game as maybe this is one more bullet uh, in the chamber that uh, that Finch can throw out there defensively, Chase. We're not going to uh, we're not doing prize picks this week, so I'll just very last thing. Uh, as you mentioned before, Torian Prince has been uh, upgraded to questionable for tonight's game uh, against Portland, and he's missed the last twenty games. Uh, I don't have anything super nuanced on this, but like, what do you think Torian being back might mean for this team? Well, it just plays. It means that. You don't have to play somebody you're not comfortable playing. Mm. Um, it means that Brent Forbes probably isn't in the rotation and he just has not played well, frankly. And there have probably been many times where Chris Finch didn't want to go Brent Forbes' direction. Um, it means that if somebody else isn't playing well, you can cut down on their minutes. Uh, and because Torian Prince is going to play 20 to 22 minutes, something like that, and it's going to be solid basketball and you're going to be comfortable that he's out there on the court. So uh, some some guys' minutes are going to get cut back. Jalen Noel's not going to play towards 30 minutes anymore, I don't think. 
Um, but we still kind of is that backup point guard, which is, you know, interesting. Um, but I, I just think the biggest thing is like giving you options. Like, oh, is Austin Rivers playing well tonight? No, he's not. Okay, yeah. well, then we can cut down on his minutes. We don't have to play him 30 tonight. Sure. Uh, because you just have another player that you can plug in, insert in the rotation. It's going to improve the ball movement. It's going to improve the defense. Like, Corian Prince is somebody who raises the level of all these things by at least like half a step. Like not a huge impact, but just enough that can be sometimes the difference between winning and losing games. Like Torin Prince knows how to play basketball. He's a competent basketball player. Wolves fans have seen that for a while now. And getting him back just increases the the likelihood of competent hoops. Yeah, and and he is a guy who doesn't you, you often get the same thing from TP night to night. I mean, obviously there's gonna be some shooting volatility as there is with everyone, but like he's one of the guys on the team, and I put Jordan McLaughlin in the mix there too, where when you're going to play him for 18 minutes, you have a pretty good idea of what those 18 minutes are going to look like. It's going to scale upward. If those guys are hitting a couple threes in that game and it's going to scale downward if they're making some, some offensive mistakes. But I think when, if we're looking at glass half full, this team coming back, I think you're getting, starting to get players back and Torian will be the first one where you go, all right, this is a guy in the rotation that, is reliable, you know, and we kind of know what we're going to get. I think that's what's really killed this team specifically in, in their second unit for, you know, a lot of the, the last month when, when these guys have been, you know, have been out. I think Tor, I think the Torian one is actually going to be, or could be really, really uh, big for this team. But uh, I don't want to overstate. Go ahead. I don't want to overstate it, but yeah, it is like it's everything will just look better. And it won't always be that Torian is out there scoring fifteen points, but everything will just happen more naturally, and, and other guys will look better because Torian's on the court. And it's what happened last January. Like that was the thing. It was TP and J Mac and like Beasley in that second unit, and they were getting the same thing from that group every night. They were getting more consistent shooting as a whole, and that's how this thing turned around. I mean, that's what we're kind of doing. That's what we're talking about here. Is like. What are the logs we can put on this fire that ended end up making it look something like it did in the second half of last season? Uh, that's what that's what Finch is uh, shooting for. Chase, you uh, you wrote well, it was up last night um, at uh, at the Pioneer Press, TwinCities.com, about how Finch now kind of has this opportunity to uh, to to play different players. He has a game of ex- an example game where he said, "Hey." We can go to these guys and we can make that happen. It's going to be interesting to see uh, whether or not Finch does that and really does up that accountability uh, and in terms of of playmaking. So you guys can you can check out uh, Jace's article uh, up there at TwinCities.com. Jace, I uh, appreciate you doing this and we'll see what happens as we keep moving forward here. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if they can turn this forward into like, this is what the team looks like again, or if that was another positive blip on a negative radar. So these next couple games are big. Like I don't even say they have to win all of them, but just like continue playing good basketball. That's all anybody's asking for. The wins will follow eventually. If you do. He's Chase Frederick. Uh, Follow him on Twitter at Chase Frederick. Read him in the pioneer press. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. Uh, Again, Blazers, uh, Wolves for the Blazers tonight on, on Wednesday night. Uh, Britt and I won't be doing our Thursday pod in the morning. We're going to be doing it at night, obviously, because it's the live show. So that'll be up uh, either late Thursday night or uh, early on on Friday morning. So so look for that. We'll keep uh, we'll keep 
checking in on whatever goes on with this team. Again, he's Jace. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.